new drive with Goodman and Fry. Presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry, watch us. MileEyeSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed. At T. Fry, at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for a wholesale arm of the public, go to RMFP.com. Terry, looks like you have mountains of notes there. What are you writing? It's called preparation. Wow. You know, why don't you just do it on your computer and just go I back do and both. Forth? I do both. I have it also in the computer. What, what are on those notes? Just out of curiosity. You'll find out. Well, I know I'll find out. I'm just asking. I mean, like that top page, what does that say? I just go through the, I go through the Did show. Did you just turn them over yeah, like look, I'm cheating I, in I, class? I go through the show notes and I take notes about my potential responses and do some research. What? I can't believe you just turned that over. It's like we're in school and I'm cheating. I can't read that far. I promise I won't steal any of your notes today. Okay. I'll consider it, but I won't do it. Time now for the lead. The lead presented by Sasquatch Casino in Blackhawk. I think you can make the case, and you've been covering the NFL for a long time, as have I, that maybe for the first time in NFL history, a head coach quarterback combo are building a close personal relationship off the field. Let me give you a good example. Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett were photographed at the Ed Sheeran concert together with their wives at Wembley Stadium in London earlier this summer. You and I had talked about that when we saw the picture. Do you think this could be a conflict of interest when you look at the history of great head coaches and quarterback combos? As there's usually a, for lack of a better phrase, a dividing line where one is the boss and the other is the player. Absolutely. In this case, the, the conflict of interest will be directly proportional to how badly Russell Wilson plays. If he plays great, we will look back and say, well, B followed A, so A caused B. We will do that, and in this case, you know, when I saw the reference to for the first time in NFL history, I have to confess, I said, that can't be right. You know, and I started looking back through. So did I. In my show notes yeah. here. Yeah, You know, like the Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. You can't go back and go through every combination of coach and quarterback in the history of the NFL, but you can at least go through the ones that were successful. And it really was a case of, of, you know, I guess that really hasn't been any close personal relationships. They've had quarterbacks and coaches who are close in age, but we, but you, like like uh, Ken Stabler and John Madden were only nine years apart, right? And Shannon, Mike Shanahan and John Elway were only seven years apart, right? And we saw in the Super Bowl this year, Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford are only two years apart, right? So the age issue is 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 part of it. I mean, sure. they're, they're you, ha- you tend to have your friends of your own age and age group. And, and in this case, it's the, the dividing line is the case of if it, it gets in the way of the coach making hard, co- hard business decisions, mm-hmm. football decisions, coaching decisions. If what they went through in, in Wembley Stadium makes it harder for Nathaniel Hackett to make a tough decision about Russell Wilson, then, it, yeah, it's, it's a conflict of interest. I mean, when you look back, and I'll, I'll give you some examples, too. The relationship between Chuck Noll and Terry Bradshaw was fractured, to say the least. 
the relationship between Bill Walsh, who is very much a standoff type of guy, and Joe Montana was different. Oh, Bill Walsh could have his moments. I don't. I wouldn't say he was standoff. He was not effusive. No, that is correct. Okay. George Seifer, when he succeeded him and also won championships with the 49ers, was a little more outgoing. So as a good example, and you brought up <clears throat> Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay, their relationship as, for lack of a better phrase, teammates, was built in Cabo San Lucas <laughs> when they ran into each other on vacation, had some conversations, and McVay was incredibly impressed when he asked Matthew Stafford about a certain game and a certain time in the game and like having a photographic memory, Stafford went through play by play on what happened. And I think the reason why that McVeigh felt he was kindred spirits with Matthew Stafford was he can do that himself. So they were in Cabo. They happened to be in Cabo at the same time. Was, and Kale, they were, was Kale McCarr there? He was not there and neither was I. You didn't put that. You don't have Kale McCarr in the show notes. Yes, do you? I don't. Okay. Yes, you no, don't. No, I don't. Okay. So with that, uh, that was just a chance encounter. But to your point, they are similar ages. But I can't remember um, a coach, a head coach, and a player planning a vacation at the same time, going overseas. I can understand going for dinner one night, but going overseas. Now, to me, the only huge asterisk and red flag in this is that in previous times, things didn't get out. I mean, this sure. is not the Twitter age. This is not the Instagram age. Uh, people weren't taking pictures of them with their cell phones. So th th it's possible in my mind that John Madden and Ken Stabler could have taken a vacation together. Could have. And they, uh, I would imagine they had a really good time. Well, I think the difference is Ken Stabler, his whole MO was chasing women, and that's well-documented. And I don't think that was no, John Madden. No, it was not. And remember, it was it was the wives that went on this trip as mm -hmm. well. It's not like it was like two single guys going out. So it was Hackett and his wife, and then Russell Wilson and his wife going to planning a trip to London together. I do think that is a. I won't say strange. I think it's kind of straining the relationship. It's a potential strain on the relationship. I think it could be a potential strain. However, I also think when there are problems because of the friendship, it might be able to smooth things over a little quickly. I mean, I believe uh, that there's nothing wrong with becoming, if you're a boss, there's nothing wrong with being friendly with your employees. I know some people who are bosses that absolutely refuse to be friends with their employees because they feel it clouds their judgment when something happens. Now, let's be honest, Russell Wilson isn't going anywhere. No. The one who would go first is Nathaniel Hackett. No question about it. Okay. So with that, um, I think this would probably be more of a benefit than anything else. I think that when you look at Russell Wilson's relationship with Pete Carroll, who is very much a player's coach, I think one of the... The, the the parts of the friction that they had was the way that Carroll operated his offense, which was run first. That's not what Russell Wilson wanted. For Nathaniel Hackett, he wants to revolve his entire offense around Russell Wilson. Now, a lot of head coaches have defensive backgrounds, too, so that pretty much rules out the kind of friendship that's based on, sure. on further, further deepening their understanding of the offense and being involved that way. I mean, I don't see Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning Although Tony shoving Dungy, it up on the beach together. That, that, that's the weirdest thing about it is that Tony Dungy was a collegiate quarterback at the University of Minnesota. Right. 
But he's a defensive mind. He was. Yeah. But I, I don't see those guys palling around either. When you bring up Mike Shanahan and John Elway, Mike Shanahan has been married to the same woman for a very, very long time. And John Elway has been married a couple of times. They don't seem like the type that would necessarily vacation together. Now they might go for dinner. I think they were dinner. friends, though. No, they were friendly. No, I'm, I know they were friendly. But I, and maybe going for a drink or maybe going for dinner and their wives hanging out. But again, you're going overseas. You're planning a trip. To me, I don't want to say that's unprecedented. Maybe that's happened in the past. It just seems, I don't want to say out of the norm, but it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And when you talk to Nathaniel Hackett and you talk to people about Nathaniel Hackett, I think he wants to be friends with everybody. I would look at the Nathaniel Hackett reign as a work in progress. And so I, I, the biggest thing is I don't know how you can measure the impact of this. I mean, if you say, can they translate into more wins? I mean, how do you decide, well, we won that game because Nathaniel and Russell went and their wives went to Wembley for a concert. I think what it does is this, and I'm going to go back to Baker Mayfield and Stefanski in <laughs> Cleveland. One of, one of the biggest problems that Baker Mayfield had with Stefanski was the fact that he wanted to be able to collaborate with his head coach. A lot of head coaches don't want to collaborate with their quarterbacks because it's their offensive system. It's their team. Let me make it very clear. I have an office that says head coach, and you have a locker, and that's the difference between us. And Baker Mayfield was upset that Stefanski didn't want to collaborate with him. With, I think for a Nathaniel Hackett, he has an open door policy for everyone, but I think he does want to be collaborative. And if you're going to be collaborative with anyone, why not be collaborative mm -hmm. with the guy that you're organizing your uh, offense around and you build a friendship? I do believe that when you work with someone, it is important to have happy hours. It is important to do social things with people you work with. Because when you like someone, you tend to give them the benefit of the doubt because at some point, something will arise like conflict. And how do you get past that conflict? Agreed. If, if all your relationship is, is business. But they have to step back and have agreed. And I, I saw this in a different way, a different way with Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick in the Avalanche front office when it was very clear that Patrick had to accept Joe as his boss, not as his friend, and it became a problem, obviously, because Patrick thought his, his title meant something and Joe didn't really think so. In this case, I think Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson have to agree, and I think they've probably agreed that we this is a work in progress. We have to judge the relationship as we move along. And at some point, if it's, if it's creating not a problem so much as it's not accelerating the progress of the of the imprint of the uh, Hackett imprint and the Wilson imprint being put on the program, then I think they have to step back and say, we have to make this more conventional. If they're smart enough, and I think they are, to take this as a case of let's evaluate, I don't know, every month, or we have to jump on it if it, if it looks like it's creating a problem. I think I'm going to bring up a point you brought up, and I'm going to bring up personalities. Joe Sackig and Jared Bednar have similar personalities. Mm -hmm. Both kind of laid back guys. All right. Uh, Jared Bednar is not the type of guy who would say it's my way or the highway. Neither would Joe Sackig. When you look at Tim Conley and Mike Malone, it wasn't a it's my way or the highway. With Patrick Waugh, it's my way or the highway. <laughs> so 
when you have somebody who has that attitude and he doesn't have the power, he will grow frustrated and he will be the one getting the pink slip. And that's exactly in theory what happened. Even though Wa mm-hmm. quit, he quit because he didn't get his way and he probably thought he could push around Joe. Yes. And Joe doesn't operate that way. When I look at a Nathaniel Hackett, he doesn't seem to me to be a my way or the highway guy. And neither does Russell Wilson. He's competitive. Both are very competitive. But I don't think either of them plant a flag, draw a line in the sand and say, you have to do it my way. Because if the subordinate, whether it's the quarterback or the coach, looks at somebody above them and draws a line in the sand, they're gone. But I think if Russell Wilson plays, this is the obvious statement of all. The most obvious statement of all. If Russell Wilson plays, the better Russell Wilson plays, the better we'll be judging this personal relationship between the two. Right. If he if he holds the ball too long, gets sacked too much, can't get the ball deep as he used to, as much as he used to, then we will be saying, well, well maybe uh, maybe Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson shouldn't have been so close. I'll bring something up as well. Everybody looks at Pat Bowen as one of the greatest owners in the NFL. Right? Right. Yeah. I would disagree. He might be the second best, but he's not the best. Who is the best? Be- because all of Pat Bo- most of Pat Boland's ideas came from somebody else. What's wrong with that? That's part of being a great owner. I understand that. The best owner in the NFL was Eddie DeBartolo. He was the best owner because he gave his team everything. He had a close relationship with his players, and he made the 49ers a first-class organization. They were kind and, of ahead, ahead of their time. And the minute Mike Shanahan walked into the door at Dove Valley, he walked up to Pat Bolin and said, this is the way we do it in San Francisco. Everything is first-class. And Pat Bolin, to his credit, changed everything but that's part of being a great owner is that is being adaptive but the but the original but i think you're you're telling me why he was why he was a great and eddie DeBartolo was uh impetuous about a lot of things too. he was and, and pat bolden was not that way I'll, I'll give you that but what i'm saying about eddie DeBartolo jr was this i i've, I've told you the story about carl mecklenburg mm-hmm. on how he didn't reach certain goals because yeah. he okay and then Pat said, I'm going to give you your bonus anyway. Uh, There was a player on the 49ers. I think his last name was Allen. He got seriously injured. And well, uh, Eddie DeBartolo took care of him and his family when he couldn't play anymore. Mm -hmm. That's something a Pat Bolin would do. But I'll tell you this. I don't think the Broncos are the Broncos without Eddie DeBartolo Jr. Because if Shanahan isn't an offensive assistant or the offensive coordinator, and comes back and comes back to Denver and says to Bolin, this is how we should run things. Pat Bolin would still be a terrific owner, but he wouldn't be having uh, lobster on the menu. The players would not have their own rooms. None of that probably would have happened unless if it, and if it would have, it would have been years and years and years later. I think that was a league wide trend at the time, though. Then the Broncos accelerated because of the connection with DeBartolo and Bolin and Shanahan. And well, DeBartolo started that when he basically took over the team in 1977. This is well before Pat Bolin owned the team. Anyway, they fired Joe Thomas and clean house. That's and right. Brought in Bill Walsh and did everything else. Got and brought in Carmen policy, but he started, excuse the pun, this policy and through the entire 1980s. They were run as a first class organization. And every single player pretty much that played for the 49ers will tell you Eddie DeBartolo Jr. loved us. He did everything he could to win and made it a first-class organization. Let's just use the first Super Bowl in 1981. 
they were ahead of their time because Mike Shanahan didn't take over till 1995. Mm-hmm. That was 14, 15 years later. Coming up after the break, Big 12, Pac-12. They've ended their negotiations about possibly coming together. Are these two conferences playing a foolish game of chicken with each other? That's next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive, Goodman and Fry. Watch us, mileisports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed, at tfry, at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber the public, Go to rmfp.com. In the meantime, Sasquatch and Wildcard Casinos up in Blackhawk always have great giveaways. They are giving away another Tesla. They've already given one away. They decided, hey, we will do it again. If you don't want it, they're going to give you over $33,000 in cash instead. And with gas prices being high, nothing wrong with driving a Tesla. Head on up there. Be part of this promotion. You could also be part of their daily cash drawings. Great giveaways. Again, like the Tesla, check out their sports book, Sasquatch and Wildcard, a family-owned casino that treats you like family. Alex, you are running the board today. Your lackey today happens to be our executive producer, Danny. Would you ask him to step it up, please, to be a little quicker on the trigger? Because I don't look good on camera, and he needs to do a better job of making me more handsome. I will relay that to Danny. Thank you very much. Time now for the buzz. The Buzz is presented by Mighty Plumbing and Heating. Why does Mighty Plumbing and Heating have over 600 five-star reviews? No one has better service, and they will meet or beat any written offer. Go to MightyPH.com. Terry, you don't have to worry about it. You look absolutely stunning. (laughs) Big 12, Pac-12 ended talks about a potential merger or partnership after multiple conversations between the conferences over the last couple of weeks. According to CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd, Big 12 ultimately walked away from the negotiating table on Monday night. After reviewing its options, Big 12 reportedly approached the Pac-12 first uh, with the discussions, uh, including a full merger, pooling television rights, uh, pooling television rights, scheduling partnership, yada, yada, yada. Ultimately, the Big 12 believed a merger might be the most beneficial, but decided it had better options as adding many of the Pac-12 programs would not help the league's sustainability increase in its media rights revenue. Well, and it also divides it up further. If you do more pe- more te- league, more teams you have in your league, the more you share the revenue. Yeah, but also the bigger the television contract. The bigger the t- well, because the Big 10 is about to sign a 1 billion dollar deal with Fox. And each school is getting 80 to 100 million dollars uh, per year and oh by the way as we know with the new math there aren't 10 teams in the big 10 <laughs> there aren't 10 teams in the pack 12 there are 10 teams in the pack 12 right so, so but but uh the pack 12 screwed up the chance to negotiate its tv contract earlier and now are running around with chicken with the head cut off trying to get it trying to get a new television deal and they, they screwed it up last year right but they are in a window in which they can negotiate the Big 12 has to wait 
until 2024. Right. So the Pac-12, if they're going to get a new television deal, can get it first. Big 10 is getting stronger. SEC is getting stronger. Both the Big 12 and Pac-12, to me, are playing a game of chicken. And they're seeing who blinks first, who's going to give more. And quite frankly, one of them is going to lose out. Well, the Big 12 is losing Oklahoma and Texas. That's the first thing on the table. That's the reality. But they're adding Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. Right. So they're... they're Not big television markets, no, though. Are. No. No. And then... Not major powers. And the, Pac- the Pac-12, of course, is losing UCLA and USC. And I think now, after... That's the, a bigger after, loss. After these revelations, after these, after Dennis Dodd's report and the reports of many other reliable reporters, it's very... It's very clear that now this sets the stage for people to try to poach Oregon and Washington, for example. This is what I don't understand. I keep reading that the Big 12 is looking to add Colorado, uh, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, as an example. The corner schools. Okay. Why is it the Pac-12 trying to add? I think they are. I Well, we would have heard something by you now. Think so? Yeah. No, I, I, I think they've kept it under. No, this is a league where UCLA got permission to... Go, UCLA got permission to go to the Big Ten and got permission from the Board of Governors and then didn't come out. I'll tell you why I think the Pac-12 isn't openly recruiting Big 12 schools. They think they're better. That's why. They think they're smarter and they think they're better. And I'll go back to when Colorado left. We are joining a conference that is more on par with us academically. Stanford doesn't want to have anything to do with Iowa State. Neither does Cal. We're really smart schools. Oregon, we have Nike money. Okay, <laughs> well, What in the world do we need Cincinnati for? I think they are too big for their britches. And if anybody gets screwed, I hope it's them because they think they're better than the other conference. They do, but they miscalculated on that front. No question about it. There's, a, there's an arrogance there. There was a there's an unrealistic attitude about that there, but there's, but it's also part of the league's culture as a West Coast West Coast conference to have kind of that elitist attitude. And you're you're not going to tell me that Stanford's not as good school as what? Stanford's, Stanford's one of the top universities in the country. Yes, no question. No reasonable person would argue that they're um, academically they're fantastic. UCLA and US UCLA and Cal are both excellent state schools. Yep. Among the best state schools in the country. No question. UCLA is a top 25 school academically in the country. So is Cal, so is Stanford, so is USC. Stanford's Even a though private U- school and USC is a private school. That's right. But still, they are top 25 uh, on most people's rankings of schools in the country. So I understand it, but at the end of the day, it's about survival. So how does the Pac-12 survive? I think it attempts to, goes out, to go out and add... add they have to let their standards down a little bit if they want to get the Southern California television market back with San Diego State. Oh, geez. They would never stoop to that. You don't think so? I no, mean, I realize it's, it's, a, it's, it's a huge school that is not considered among the elite academically in the country. They Absolutely. Would, they would not allow them in because they're going to they're gonna, uh, lift their nose at them. But if there's a point at which they have learned their lesson and understand that it's going to take kind of swallowing some pride on that front. And allow in Fresno State or even around here, we have talked about the possibility, long shot, albeit, of Colorado State and Air Force getting into the pack. Think about it. We're going to talk more about this in the second hour of the show because the Big 12 could have something cooking in conjunction with Notre Dame. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. more about that in the second hour. But with that, think about the way this story was written by Dennis Dodd. Big 12 approached 
the Pac-12. Not the other way around. Not Then the Big 12, okay, after looking at all of its options. That isn't such a good idea. Said, you know what? We might be better off not merging with the Pac-12. Isn't that interesting? But it's smart on everybody's part to try to check out all the options, and that includes the Pac-12 aggressively trying to see what how it can do. Who are they going to get? San Diego State? It, That's not moving the needle. That's no, not going to get you any more money. Now, uh, clearly, clearly the facilities of San Diego State are a problem. Oh, forget about the facilities. Just let's talk about their, their teams. I, they don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore. <laughs> okay, he's gone. And they, and they weren't... They were great for maybe a couple of years with him. Somebody's got to be the doormat of the league. That's fine. That's why they have Colorado. <laughs> Cheap shot. Well, you know what? Let's talk about Colorado next. And the reason why I'm saying that is Sports Illustrated's Pat Forty. Is it Pat Forty or Pat, Pat Ford? Ford? Pat Ford. I thought it was Pat Ford, but I wanted to be. I wanted to sound French. Pat Forty. Uh, he measured every Power Five school based on desirability. A desirability factor, which includes strength of the football program, strength of all sports, academics, attendance, football viewership, yada, yada, yada. He took 69 schools from the Power Five, and we're going to let you know where Colorado is ranked next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wild Card Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive, Goodman and Fry. Watch us, mileisports.com. You can reach us, Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed, at tfry, at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Time now for What's Trending. What's Trending? Presented by Silterhar Mazda. Get to Silterhar in Broomfield for a no-pressure buying experience at Silterhar Mazda or find them at sthmazda.com. Force Illustrated's Pat Ford, a longtime college football writer, uh, measured every Power 5 school based on the desirability factor uh, of each school in a Power 5 conference based on a bunch of different criteria, including strength of the football program, strength of all sports, academics, attendance, football viewership, so on and so forth. So there are 69 schools. And for fun, I will just tell you the top five that he has. So the top five that he has would be, actually, I'll give you the top 10. Ohio State, number one, Michigan, Notre Dame, Texas, Georgia, Florida, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, USC, Alabama. That's the top 10. When you include football rankings overall, academics, all sports, attendance, viewership. Out of 69 schools, he had Colorado 57. Pat's from Colorado Springs. If he was in Fort Collins, you might have an argument. No, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just oh. I'm pointing out a fact that Pat oh, is I thought from Colorado Springs. Well, okay. Well, he went he, to Air Academy High School. He played football for Gary Barnett. Oh, well, well, if you played for Gary Barnett, then you'd be like, how can you put him that low? <laughs> and Gary is a, the greatest guy ever. I Never missed, should have been fired, by the way. 
I'm just uh, Eric. I'm just pointing out some facts that okay. that Pat is a credible voice. No question. Who is familiar around here? Right. But that's also a very subjective, personal list. Sure. And I don't happen to agree with it. I would put Colorado higher because I'm a proud Colorado alum, and I think it's a better school. And the other elements of his rating system are are better than he is probably giving it weight. But his personal ranking system is his own personal prerogative. So I'm not going to sit here and say and pick it apart and says I'm saying it's a personal it's a personal rating system. This is not some computer uh, computer. He didn't throw it all into a computer and have it spit out a, a subject a, a very subjective list. Right. This is my this is my challenge, and I know you're a Colorado grad. I know Danny's a Colorado grad. This is my problem with CU fan. They think they have a tradition in football, and they don't. As an outsider. It, it depends on how far back you want to go and, and the elements you, you use in measuring it. Okay, well, I'll give you my metric. Now, I will tell you, I do get a little tired of the national coach, no, national championship when it was a co-championship, I will admit that. Oh, I'm not even going there. Uh, that is the most, the most, the most egregious call by a referee or an umpire in the history of sports <laughs> because that guy couldn't count. They won a national championship. But they're, they're, is, that, is that a fact? You can torturously tear that apart because, because of the, uh, the, the plans that CU would have implemented if they had known the right down. Might have, and I'm not debating that. The point is that team was littered with NFL talent. No reasonable, and a good friend of mine, Mike Pritchard, was on that team. Mm -hmm. Alfred was on that team. Canavis McGee, I believe, was on that team. Chad Brown was on that team. They, won one, they lost one game and tied one game. Right. They were a great team. I'm not going to even take away their national championship. What I would say is if you're talking about the history of a school, okay? Because some of us know who Bobby Anderson was. Some right. of us know who Wizard White was. Now you're going to sit there and belittle that because it's... That's too long ago and it doesn't matter. No, no, I'm not going to no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is this, okay? If you're talking about metrics, when did Wizard White play? What years? 30s. In the 1930s. So if he played in the 1930s, um their records were 5 and 1, 5 and 1, very different back then, can we well, agree? Yeah, and he was very also different. he was also the school's basketball star and baseball okay. star. But so let's go back fifty. Can I don't go, know whatever happened to him after that. Can we go back fifty years? Will that work back to the early nineteen sixties? See now you're gonna you're just gonna belittle the fact that I'm I'm loyal to my alma mater. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not belittling anything. You can belittle Indiana, and I'll probably agree with you. Bobby Knight's a piece of garbage. Okay, and I went there. Was Breaking Away a good movie? I thought it was excellent. Yeah, I did. Too. Well, considering it was up for an Academy Award for Best Picture, you don't take, have to take my Steve word for Tess it. Steve Tess is just writing what made it. it was okay, let's not get sidetracked here. Let's get back to Colorado football. To me, if you, how many nine-plus win seasons do you have? That, to me, tells me that you are consistently great. That tells me you're consistently great. Okay. In 50-plus years, when you have 10 nine-plus win seasons, that's not a powerhouse. Now they Probably had not, but I also don't. Now they had a run. I, they had their run in which they were ranked. They finished ranked in the top twenty-five eight consecutive years. Now those are the glory years. You can't take that away. And they were great, and they dominated. I covered Kansas and Kansas State in the early nineteen nineties, and I watched them run all over K State, and K State was just getting good. 
So I'm with you on that. But you can't take an eight-year sample size and say, we have a tradition. Because eight years doesn't... Tradition doesn't have to include the last eight years or 20 years. Tradition is is a broad expanse of evaluation over the entire course of a career, of a career and the entire course of a program. Right. And I am not going to sit here and tell you that they've been dominant in the Pac-12 or the Big or the Big Eight, Big Twelve. Right. Over those years, I'm going to tell you though that some of us also consider there are other ways to rate the uh, competence of a university. Oh, I'm not saying it's not competent. What I'm saying is I disagree. I've lived here since 2004, okay? So while I consider myself a Denver guy now, I didn't grow up here, so I don't get fed that John Elway's the greatest quarterback of all time. Does that make sense? Do you buy buy the premise that the entire rating system of the University of Indiana should be based on how its football team does? Absolutely not, because it's a basketball school. (laughs) And you know what's even better at than basketball? Soccer and swimming and track. Dominant. They have a baseball team? They used to. Mickey Morandini used to play there. I covered him. Point is, point is, Jerry Yeagley is a more accomplished soccer coach than Bob Knight was a Mm -hmm. basketball coach. They have two of the greatest coaches, and Doc something. Doc something, he was the swimming coach. You know, I've heard of him, yes. Three of the greatest coaches in the history of collegiate sports all were at Indiana. Period. They're all, you can make the case, the John Woodens of their sport. Doc is for sure, and so is Jerry Yeagley. Colorado's problems at times has been kind of a smug attitude among its boosters. I will grant you that. Right. And it's unfortunate. Even in little things like its association and and relationship with Colorado State University. Right. I agree. If if people, not you, because you're not this guy, and Danny's not this guy, if you would just tamp down the bravado, A, you'd be more tolerable, but B, you wouldn't give me an argument. CU has had some great years in football. The last 20 have not been good. No reasonable person would argue with that. And you know what? It fell their way where they won a national championship, and they were a great team. They were a great team. Two seasons ago, Carl Durrell did a really good job during the COVID year. He did. And uh, some of that was kind of timing of the teams they played and kind of the chaotic conditions under which the games were played, everything else. But he did a terrific job. The only disillusioning part to me about all of this is that they didn't build on that momentum. Right. And a lot of his best players are transferred. But that's a, that's a, I know it's I a would, nationwide problem. It's a nationwide industry problem. Wide problem. It now, is, but now they, that we're acknowledging it's a complete business, but they have, they have as big of a problem as anybody. They've had a lot of guys going and all schools have all schools have. I'll tell you this though. They better look in the rear view mirror. Jay Norvell at Colorado state. Cause he's coming fast. <laughs> and they should be lucky. Colorado should be fortunate they're not playing Colorado State for a while. Well, and Jay took advantage of the transfer portal, though. I mean, look at he he brought up to I think about fifteen players from Nevada. And is is Good there anything him. is there anything wrong with that? No, it's part of the system now. But it also is in in the traditional sense. Take the players you had and and try to make them better. Yeah, that's true. And Jay Norvell also has an NFL resume too. And he also t- turned a guy, one of his quarterback, I think it was Carson Strong, into a really good quarterback. Yeah. And, and, he, and he competed that was in the top 25. Season, yeah. That's right. He's a really good coach. It's unfortunate that CU doesn't have him. His quarterback is, is Carson Strong's backup. Right. So 
They're going to be good. So, but I don't think we can belittle the the, the uh, proliferation of the transfers right. without doing it both ways. What do we have coming up on Mountain High Appliance, just in case you missed it? We'll discuss the Nazem Kadri situation oh. and a possible update there, as well as taking a peek at the World at Track and Field Championships. That's coming up next on Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry on Mile High Sports. Give me a Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed. At T. Fry, at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. One guy who works with Rocky Mountain Forest Products is my buddy Ed Goldinger from Pinnacle Builders. How are you, Ed? Eric, what's going on? How you been? I am outstanding. I want to talk about your process. When somebody hires you to do a rebuild, whether it's a basement, bathroom, kitchen, anything, how does the process begin and then where does it go from there? Well, the, the process starts with an initial visit from me personally. Uh, we, uh, we'll go over the project, sit down, see what maybe options we may have. And then I'll sit down and do a formalized bid. And then we'll talk through that and decide if we've got uh, the right things on that project. And then we go forward from there, put it into scheduling. And then uh, we, we typically start right on the days we say. Uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this business who start businesses with minimal experience. Tell everybody uh, what your experience is. I learned to be a carpenter in the Army, uh, which was a, a, a specific idea that I could translate it back to civilian life when I got out. So I've been at this for 33 years, not including my military time uh, here in Denver. And your team that you've hired around you, best in the business, what kind of guys and gals do you have working for you? We have everything from A to Z. We, we do everything in-house. So we have framers. We have uh, carpenters. My apologies. We have... Uh, Tylers, we have installers, doors, trim, everything's in-house. Okay, now, this is what I really love about what you guys do. When contractors don't feel confident about their work, when they don't feel confident about the product that they are using because they know they're going cheap to save a few bucks so they can make, make a bigger profit, their warranty tends to be six months to a year. You don't work I've, that way, do you? My warranty's been two years since the start. It's always been a year longer than the standard. And why do you think, I mean, I can give my opinion. My opinion is they don't warranty for it as long because they don't feel as confident in their work. Why do you do it for two years? Well, I can continue to say that, that my apologies. It's that, okay. Uh, that, you know, nobody does it. But what I can say now after 33 years of experience is I've had very few warranty recalls. Really? And I'm guessing you get a lot of clients from people who worked with other contractors who messed up or went on the cheap. You would not believe. Yeah, I'll tell you something. I used to be in real estate, and I had a client 
who was so underwater on a new build and they couldn't get out of it. They couldn't sell their house. They were $75,000 in debt because the contractors use cheap stuff. Now, I mentioned at the top, you work with Rocky Mountain Forest Products. I love I them. I, so, so give me an example on why you work with them. Well, they're wholesale. Um, if you want to, if, if somebody's like a homeowner and goes to Home Depot and buys, say, a two by four, they're going to pay nine bucks for it nowadays. Uh, I can get that probably around six bucks at Rocky Mountain Forest Products. And the other thing is they pick, they get the pick of the litter right from the mill, where I think okay. the, I mean, is it fair to say that the big box stores get the scraps? <laughs> they, they're, one of the, one of the rules, you never, ever let them deliver uh, material from Home Depot because they will give you crap. <laughs> <laughs> How do people get a hold of you, Ed? There are three, nine, 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 eight, eight, four, one. Or uh, on the web at www.pinnacleden.com. Pinnacleden.com, P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E-D-E-N.com. You are working with the best in Ed and his crew, 33 years of experience. You're working with a veteran of the Army. It doesn't get any better with that than that. Go with the best, Pinnacle Builders. Ed, have a great day. Thank you, Eric. See you, pal. Time now for the final word. The final word. Is presented by the McKenzie Law Firm. Don't wait before it's too late. Protect your family by setting up a will, living will, or estate plan with Dan McKenzie at themckenziefirm.com. Just in case you missed it. Presented by Mountain High Appliance, Colorado's favorite appliance store for 25 years in Louisville, Colorado Springs, and now open in their new store in Littleton. Go to mountainhighappliance.com. Just in case you missed it, yesterday it was reported by Adrian Dater. Uh, he said, after talking with three sources today, I think it is now a lesser chance Kadri comes back to the Avs. Do you think this is just speculation, or is there some truth to this? I think there's there now. I think the Avs and Kadri's camp have at least agreed on the parameters of what he would take to come back, and they're waiting to see if they can create the cap room to do it. You know what it's like. This whole Kadri situation. And I hate to make it one-sided, but I'm a guy, so I'll speak from a guy's point of view. You ask out a girl (laughs) four times over a 10-day span, and she keeps putting you off, putting you off, putting you off. And the first time you ask her out, there's some excitement to it, and you can't wait to go out. And then the second time, she says no. By the fourth or fifth time, you're like, you know what? I'm not wasting my time anymore. And that's how I feel about the Kadri situation. It would be great if he came back, but I'm tired of it. I really don't want to talk about it anymore. If he comes back, that'd be great. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But but the enthusiasm for me wanting him back is kind of gone. It, it was very clear that it, there were significant offers out there for him, and he probably could have signed right away and gotten a pretty good deal. But he's at least at least stepping back and say, seeing what the Avalanche can do to create the capital. But I also think it's very unlikely that it's going to happen. I don't think they're going to trade Sammy Gerrard. The World Track and Field Championships are being held for the first time ever in the United States. That's in Eugene, Oregon through next weekend. The first time ever in Eugene, Oregon? Yes. Really? The World Track Championships are not that old of an event. Oh, okay. A lot of big events have been held in Eugene. And I'm saying that in homage to you because you've driven through there once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So are those World uh, Track and Field Championships on your radar? Or are you one of those that only pays attention during the Olympics? Oh, I've, I've... been fascinated by watching them, both men's and women's events and it's a really a it, it's energizing to see them in the ha- 
the new uh, Hayward Field in Eugene, it, it, the mecca for track and field, and you, you re- understand the background and the history for track and field there. The combination of the best athletes in the world in the track center of the world, in my opinion, has been energizing. You know what I'd like to see added to the World Track, track and Field Championships? The javelin catch. That would make it interesting. For that would spice things up. It would, wouldn't it? Don't you think? You would stand there and try to catch it? I wouldn't. I want to see somebody do it. That would make it interesting. Or how about the shot put catch? Or for the shot put, you have to hit a moving target. That would make it interesting for me. Not some not some big guy throwing a, a heavy ball. Hit a target. Hit a target. That would make it interesting. I don't care how long you can throw it. Did you watch Devon Allen get disqualified the other Don't day? even know who Devon Allen is. He's a, I know who Byron he's Allen a, is. He's an Eagles wide receiver who played at Oregon and is now moving on to the NFL, but went to the World Championships. He was disqualified by a, for having <laughs> for a false start because he started .0001 seconds too soon. Well, was it a false start? No. It he, wasn't? Not in my opinion when, when you have discretionary officials. Oh, you're, oh, you mean kind of like, I'm, I'm like kind of like in the home run derby? I'm allowed to play God. Like home run derby? Where it's, one second. Like home run derby where it's discretionary. We'll, we'll count this home run and we won't count this I home run. I thought you would be all up in arms seeing how stupid the track system is when they can't when they are that inflexible. I don't, if I don't care about it, I don't have an opinion about it. That should tell you how I feel about track and field. I appreciate it, but it's not something I'll sit and watch. They're among the best athletes in the world. I, w- I won't debate that at all. I'm sure they're a great athletes. And they can run. How do they do in the pros? It varies. There are no pros. Are there? Oh, you mean track and field pro? I thought you were talking about in the NFL. Or no, what? I'm talking about pros. Oh, they make more. Hey, they make more money than than uh, who? Than anybody? Who does? Not, not anybody. Track and field. Track people? and field athletes are doing very, 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 very well. World class track and field athletes are making a lot of money. I want to see the javelin catch. That will get me interested. That was Mountain High Appliance. Just in case you missed it, you're working with a sales staff that's been doing this for a very long time. When you make a purchase like an appliance, you need to get what you want, right? Not not one size fits all. You go to a big box store, they're going to treat it like one size fits all. Not a Mountain High Appliance. You're working with the best, and the best appliances out there by far. You can find them in Louisville, Littleton. You can also find their clearance center in Denver. Well, tonight is the All-Star Game. Are you going to watch? Is it the best all-star game out there? Are you excited to see C.J. Cron? That's next. Mm-hmm.